Good evening, my brother. How you doing? Good evening. Good man. evening, How man. How are you today? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, been an interesting weekend, uh, holiday weekend, but uh, doing pretty good, man. And just not under the weather, but I think I got allergies the older I get. Oh, no, God, man, I understand. Man. You know, you I know, think, I think uh, uh, these weather, these weather changes have been throwing me off, too. Yeah. So we in the 60s up here. Um, so we're headed right into fall. But, you know, everything's going well. Everything's going good. Uh, how's life for you down there? You know, you I, know, can't, I can't complain, complain man. man. You know, you know we're, we're focusing, focusing on, on just, just getting ready, ready for the weather, weather to change. And, and work is moving. moving. So I can't, so I can't really complain. So... I just wanted to uh, talk about a few things, man, specifically what's been going on in my life. Um, just want some feedback on it for you. Um, so I'll just jump straight into it. So I'm in sales, right? And it's not too many African-Americans in sales, right? So I'm one of maybe three inside the team that I'm on. It's I believe it's 80 of us. So I'm right. three... I'm, I'm one of three inside of 80. And um, it's been interesting. Again, I've been with the company for a little bit of a while now. Um, I'm very thankful, very grateful. But I wanted some opinions on something that comes through my mind. When I first started with the company, I felt as if I used to cold switch or appear to cold switch, right? I would... I would never let my hair grow the way that I wanted it to. I would always shave my beard down to always look acceptable, presentable, because I started the weekend, uh, well, the, the fall that Mike Brown was was killed in, in Ferguson. So I was very conscious. So this is back in 2014. I was very conscious of my appearance because of that. Um, I already feel as if I people say I speak proper, so I never really felt like I had to change too much of my tone, but I always felt like I had to be aware that I didn't uh, get too comfortable where I'm like, yo, you know how sometimes I talk when I'm speaking to you or speaking to my other peers. And again, this has been an ongoing thing, and I wanted to know what it's like for other black men who may work in, in environments where there's either a lot of non-black people or um, just an office or a space that makes you have to be presentable to like the American way. So man, so, man one, of one of the things that's not discussed a lot, a lot is really, is really that black, black males are 2% of the teacher population. The teacher population. So it may so seem like, it's, may a seem like it's a lot of us really in there, not. but it's really not. And you know, and you know, for me, for me, because I because know I that, know that I always, I always feel this tug of war tug of between, between what I should say and how I should look, and, and you just get you just caught, get caught into these respectability battles, you know, you know, and like you're like saying, you're saying if, I say if I say something in the slang, in the slang that I would say it to you, I have to, I have to sometimes remember that that's, that that's going to come off as threatening, even even around black people. So, so, you know, you know, even though, though it's not a predominantly white, white environment, environment that I work in, it's not, it's not uncommon. Yeah, because there's there's times that it, it's again, it's not my tone. It's just the the words that I use. You know, sometimes I want to say to a couple of my peers, like, like, man, you knocked that out of the park or or say something like, yo, that was incredible. Right. And it may be acceptable. But in turn, I usually flip it to say, man, 
you did really well on that sale or man you closed that business really well it's not very relaxed you know it's me because I'm, I'm very comfortable I have a really good time in my office I have really good relationships but sometimes I just want to let my hair down for lack of a better term no I get your point and and I know you in education again I know you're in you're in the south right so you're probably around a lot more people who look like you or people of color yes. but but that doesn't really change too much I'm noticing it's <laughs> almost as if there's a as if we sometimes are always conscious of that, even when we're in our own spaces. Well, you know, I've been reading a lot of good books that talk about that. And, and the thing I think people don't understand when it comes to black men is we occupy a weird space in society. You know, we're criminalized. And because we're criminalized, people think of us as threats. So even in the work environment, how we speak to people and how we act, you know, we have to be more cognizant and aware of what we're going to say and how we come off to people. You know, one of the things when I first started teaching that I hated, I really did not like wearing ties. But, you know, I know the perception of me coming in without a tie, how it'll come off as I'm being more casual, more lax. And, you know, those are the type of things I'm not going to say that black women don't have their own unique challenges, but they're not viewed as criminals. They may be viewed in other lights that are un, you know, unsavory, but because they're not viewed as criminals the way we are, then their actions aren't automatically things that put people on suspicion, you know? Yeah, you. it's interesting you spoke of a tie because uh, here we are, summer 2014, uh, I get contacted by a headhunter about the company I work for now. Mm. A headhunter from Texas. He's like, "Hey, have you ever thought about doing this?" And I'm like, "No, it's I'm thinking it's spam, right?" But for some odd reason, I entertained the email. Then I got a phone call. I'm in Cleveland. He's in Texas. I'm with my family. We talk. We talk. Um, so they tell me, "Hey, go in." So I go in. They say it's 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 a business attire um, interview. So wear a sport coat uh, or a suit. I'm like, okay. Now, if anyone who knows me, I'm anti-tie. Right? I'll I'll wear one if I'm forced to, but I that's not me. So the morning of the interview, I'm, I'm walking in. I'm, I'm noticing it's like, oh, this is kind of like a group interview thing, right? This isn't just a one-on-one or one-on-two or anything like that. It's me and like six other people who are going to be observing. So this was not an actual interview. This was like a job shadow for lack of a better term. So I never actually interviewed for my job. So I come in there and I don't have a tie on. I don't have a sport coat on. I have a dress shirt on. I meet the director and everyone, everything, me and the director, we're walking and talking. I said, Hey, I know I was supposed to wear a tie, but it just didn't work for me this morning. So I just decided you know, I would, I would, you know, present myself the way that I am. And now that I'm with the company, her and I, we laugh about that. And one thing she said to me, she said, when I knew that I was going to hire you was how comfortable you were expressing yourself to me saying, Hey, this is who I am. I can do the job. All of that is secondary, but I also, I, I was telling her what I am aware of. So, um, I've grown a lot to where, of course, I care about how I present myself and my appearance and things like that. But 
sometimes I really grow tired as like the black man who has to make sure that he's palatable to the workplace in society. And, you know, it's more common than people think. You know, I remember when I was in the education program in school, you know, one of the professors who had been a principal for years and in a number of capacities, you know, he, he said to me, he said, I know you want to be a radical and you don't want to conform, but there's going to come a time where you're going to have to conform to a degree because, you know, there are going to be jobs that are going to be unwilling to hire you if you don't willing to play that game. You know, there was a very popular uh, educator in one of the cities nearby where, you know, where we went to school at. And she was notorious for, you know, she came and was helping us do interviews. And she was saying, you know, young man, you've got too much facial hair and you don't have a tie on. And that's going to be a problem in the, you know, because I look for men that are, you know, very well groomed. And, you know, I say that just to say, you know, some things I understand, but it's more so just about knowing in the workplace you're going to be judged not really on just your competency, but on how comfortable you make other people feel, you know. And so over time, I've learned how to, you know, do this and get more comfortable with it. But it gets tiring. It does. And, you know, that was on my mind for the past few days because, again, I have not been in the office since March, right? Before COVID even exploded the way that it did, uh, my office began to deploy us saying, hey, uh, you know, work at home as much as you would like, you know. So I started to take advantage of that. We bought a new house. I wanted to get my everything set up, my office and my house set up. And then COVID happened. And right now, no one can see me, but I haven't cut my hair since March. Right? I've just been growing it, growing my beard. Now, I maintain it. I get it shaped up, lined up, you know, things of that nature. But it feels good to actually do something that I always wanted to try, but I never felt comfortable of trying because I did not want to appear to be more threatening than what they already think I am, if that makes sense. No, I understand fully, man. You know, I had a job where I had to cut my facial hair completely off. And I know for people in the military, that's like not uncommon to them. But for me, it was just very uncomfortable. And I'm sure it was uncomfortable for, for people who have to do it, you know, and I think the big thing I've enjoyed about I enjoyed about quarantine for a long time was not having to worry about that, enjoying that money that I saved, you know, from spending that. Huh. But, you know, now that I'm back in the work setting, I've become more cognizant of it. And I, you know, once again, have to concede a little bit and go back towards that game. Yeah. You know, last time we spoke, uh, last two times we spoke, I believe we spoke on a, a very interesting topic. Um, and to segue to this is basically saying, hey, I, I I think about the workplace that I'm in and I don't create that workplace, but I am part of that workplace. And then I think of situations like we spoke about, like with the, uh, the Joe Button podcast, Spotify, Apple, different things of that nature, where some people own it, some people don't. Then I was thinking about, you know, I, I watched the YouTube of the Joe Button podcast and seeing how comfortable some of these people are. I watched... Um, Gilly's podcast on YouTube um, where they where they appear to be, you know, very comfortable in their own settings. And, and I'm not saying that I strive to have my own space like that, although I wouldn't. I'm not against it. Um, it's just good to see people like myself be able to, you know, set the tone where they are, to be creative in their spaces, to work in their spaces. And I have to think about the, the, uh, the, the undertones of what you have to be in society and 
And that that takes me to, you know, what I, what I wanted to get your opinion more on on Joe Button and the Charlemagne, you know, ownership versus oh, man. different things of that nature. Well, first, let me piggyback off what you were saying. I like watching, you know, Joe Button and Gilly's pods and listening to them because, like you said, I like to see, you know, black men being free to express themselves and, you know, living in that power and that space of being able to talk, express themselves, influence culture. So they're very, you know, influential to watch. Uh, but, you know, in regards to the Joe Budden podcast that he did in regards to Charlemagne and his comments on the Spotify deal, it was one of the best uh, episodes. And it was really probably maybe one of the last episodes I've really paid attention to in a long time. But it was just very good to hear Joe say what needed to be said. We talk a lot about ownership in our community, but it's people who say, no, I'm not going to take this, that make it able for us to have these opportunities. And, you know, what he was saying that I think a lot of people don't want to acknowledge is who determines whether something is valuable. We're letting people who don't understand the culture tell us whether something is valuable, how much it's valuable, and then telling us that we can't own any of it. Yeah. And, you know, that was a, a very big topic to me because I've seen the growth in certain people, right? Like I've seen Charlemagne. I remember Charlemagne being in South Carolina, coming up from South Carolina. I remember he was with Wendy Williams out in Philly, I believe. Yes. And where he's at today is, is beautiful to see. We saw Joe Button, you know. I'm from New Jersey. You know, he's from Jersey. I know a lot about his backstory. I know a lot about his music, I listened to his music and different things like that. We saw the transition to what he is today. The rebrand is what some people call it. And to see two black men be at where they are, and then it's easily to it's easy to pit them two against each other off of something that doesn't have to deal with either one of them. They both have their own lanes and they're both creatives and they don't have to address each other. But to see how quickly it was done. It, it really, it really, it really sparked something in me to make sure that I'm never doing that to um, another black man or a black woman and just be mindful of the conversations you have in regards to things for yourself that you may see somebody else doing. Definitely. And I, I think sometimes, you know, a rebuke is necessary. You know, I think they really are the same type of personality. They're very forceful and strong. And sometimes that's, that's the energy that you know, you're going to have to respect because the reality of it is, you know, Charlemagne got his money a certain way, but Joe's brand has always been, I go against the grain. I do what I do. I don't just take what was given to me. And I, I, I make people upset if I have to, because that's me being myself, you know, and if he made him upset, then, Hey, that's just what it is. And, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure if Joe or Charlemagne was ever upset. I do think, that, and I want to be careful when I say this, but I do think there's an element of, of, of not not jealousy because I don't think it's jealousy. But what I'm what I'm attempting to get across is that some people believe that when you are a way that rubs people wrong, that there is something wrong with you. But inside, all of us have that little bit of desire in us to go against the grain. All of us want to attempt it at times. 
you know, whether life permits it because, hey, we got responsibilities, we have children, we have families that we have to provide for. There's some of that in all of us that wants to say, hey, listen, I know this isn't the right way. I don't, I'm not going to do it the right way. And I think with people like Joe Button, we see it. Some people understand it and actually appreciate it. And then other people are saying, hey, listen, you know, that type of behavior can negatively affect us. And that's what I think Joe Button, I think that's what Charlemagne was alluding to is like, hey, there's something in you that's causing these problems. And I don't think he was correct, but I think he was alluding to that being real. And then that can negatively affect, you know, another black man who says, hey, I don't want to do this. And it's like, oh, we got another Joe Button on our hands. No, I understand that, but I, you know, I think, and I think it's true to a degree. You definitely can't deny that Joe's abrasive and that that definitely probably has messed him up from some opportunities from complex and other things. But, you know, the other aspect of it, I think that's important is, you know, why is he required to have to be a certain way? You know, we, we praise, you know, people from other communities who are abrasive and say, you know, they were rock stars, you know, and when we do it, it's, ungrateful and abrasive and it's hey man you need what he has you know so i you know i get both sides but at the same time i get where Charlemagne was coming from like hey man you know that's something that you probably could have negotiated to get more of and get better you know uh, a better deal but i when joe really explained it the goal wasn't for them to ever hit those goals you know and the more that they kept hitting it the more they kept changing what they were really willing to give them because the the overall goal was never for them to get a percentage. It was for them to make them rich. And he, he just doesn't desire to do that. Exactly. And, you know, I think about, I think about how productive a person can be for a company. And if that company never really, not necessarily returns a favor, but shows appreciation. Um, the One of the episodes on Insecure the last season... Uh, I believe he said, I think, I forgot his name, um, and pardon me, but Lawrence, excuse me. Yeah. Lawrence said, I realized that I wanted to be part of something bigger. I I didn't necessarily need to own my own. And how he elaborated that was, was very real because it shows that there's value in everything in both sides. Exactly. We don't have to feel like one side is better or one side is worse. We just have to be, again, mindful not to diminish or step on, you know, the other side of things. And now a little touchy subject. A little touchy subject here. All this is going on inside the media world. And then out of the blue, the situation with the other Love of Hip Hop star to hear now again, this is—we're not here to just gossip, but I wanted your opinion on: Is there such thing that the powers that be will put things out about people, like you know, all the stories about Mike Jack, um, you know, how they how they painted pictures of Mike Tyson, how they did things of Tupac? And again, I'm not saying that Joe Button is on the magnitude of these people, but right in the midst of this contract talk, ownership talk. We got Charlemagne come out, and we got the story about Tahiri coming out. Like, what what do you think? Do you think there's a such thing as that? The powers that be. Man, I will say this: I was doing so good. I thought I think the fans were starting to like me, and now I make make them upset again. Uh, <laughs> but no, on a serious <laughs> note, man, I really feel like 
it's not really even being a conspiracy theorist. When you look at certain movements and and actions that happen and what immediately went out in the press, like to me, I don't justify it, but I still think what happened to Nate Parker with Birth of a Nation was the perfect example of it. He did all these other movies, not a peep. Birth of a Nation came out. They brought out the rape case. You know what I'm saying? And now, mind you, that's not to say that I agree with his stance on not apologizing. You know, if people wanted you to apologize for your actions and you made your own penance with it, I mean, I understand where people are coming from. But my my overall point to keep it on there is when people are talking about something that's pivotal, it's interesting how footage goes forward. I'll say the Nate Parker. I won't go as far as like Bill Cosby and other people because I don't think that's the case. But like with Nate Parker, yes. With Joe Budden right now, it's just suspicious timing because for me, while I don't want to defend Joe because he definitely has a, a, a troubled past in his dealings with certain women, I will just say it seems as if he and, you know, Tahiri had gotten to a place where they, you know, were cordial and they seemed to be in a good place. And for her to go back and re-mention it again at this time was just very suspect. It was, But now, mind you, she reserves the right to speak about her trauma whenever she wants to speak about her trauma. I just thought it was, you know, curious at how they they got her to do that at this time, you know? And that's where I want to shift the conversation from specifically individuals to more of a broader topic about how society allows one to grow and not the other, right? So... In every situation where there's a victim, there's an abuser. That doesn't mean that that abuser will always be that abuser for the rest of his or her life. Now, it could be part of your past. It could be part of your story. But one thing that I struggle with is, we talked about this a while ago, is a narrative for who you like and who you don't like. And to me... That's more damaging than, you know, everything that happens prior to it. Because I believe, do I believe that these individuals have had conflict in the past and there may have been some abuse and different things like that? I can't say yes or no, but I'll say say that it's likely that it happened just knowing how society was and how some people have been. But when you don't allow people to move forward... I don't think you're doing any justice to the victims either. Um, I think I think what you do is you hold a piece of history or a story over people's head, and it's always a reminder. And no. I don't think that that's helpful. You know, and I'm going to add to that. I think, you know, I, I've said this to you a lot. Society does it, and we as a people, and when I say we as a people, culturally I'm talking about African-American black people, we buy into it a lot. You know, we decide, we let other people decide who to like and who to dislike in our community. You know, I say it all the time. We And there are pockets of us that are very respectable, and that's okay, I understand, we want to assimilate, but there are pockets of us that are respectable. We can only like people who vote. We can only like people who are prim and proper who are clean cut then there are other people you know we can't like them because of their religious beliefs we can't like them because of their political affiliations that passed you know 
I, I think there are certain things that a person can do that can make them, you know, that justify you not wanting to like them or not wanting to support them. But I always think it's important to to decide that as a people and to not let other people decide that for us, you know, because at the end of the day, like you use it, like I use the example, you know, there's a community that does not like Nick Cannon. They've made that decision. That wasn't a decision anyone else could make for them. It's the same thing with Joe Budden. It's the same thing with Kanye West. It's the same thing with Kamala Harris. It's the same thing with Joe Biden, whoever. These are decisions that we should make ourselves, but we have to allow people the space to be able to say, I was here and this is where I am now. Otherwise, what's the purpose of living life if you feel that people can never change and if you only look at, the, if you only like the people you like, you know, I, you know, I say it all the time. What's the purpose of living 70 years and feeling the same way about things? Yeah. And, you know, narrative painters are real. You know, all it takes is for someone popular to come out and say something that is trendy or believable. And now we are tarnishing someone, you know, 40 I, years afterwards. I don't want to denigrate another woman, especially a black woman. So, I, but I'll just say, you know, there was a gentleman in the news. He was, you know, Myron Rowe with his situation. You know, he was accused of something. To my knowledge, I don't know if he was ever convicted of it. And my point in mentioning it was just simply because once enough popular people popularized it, that was the narrative. And when it was found that that was not the narrative, there was no apology given, but the damage was still done. Yes, and um, here's the thing about that particular topic. We will not mention that woman's name, but the interesting part about that is if you ever read stories about Myron Rowe or his family, right? I believe Myron Rowe is a rogue scholar. I think he was frontline battling coronavirus in Connecticut and in Florida. So this is not to say that what was accused of him is impossible. What it is is that you can overcome, but when you type in his name, that particular story still pops up as if that's the only thing that he can be good for, which is beating a case against someone who has went on to succeed greatly after saying something that didn't happen. And when uh, when certain things are painted, my, my father-in-law was at my house this weekend and he talked about a story um, about in, in the workplace where there's one thing that a person can say to you that changes everything. If they say, oh, he stole something. There could be conversations about it. We'll identify it. We'll take care of it. Oh, he's lazy. We could talk about it, address it, however. But once someone says that you're an abuser of some sort, whether it's like harassment or sexual abuse or domestic violence, it's no longer about what happened. It's about how do we distance and tarnish. And the 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 tough part about this is that even someone who has committed something horrible to someone else you still reserve the right to understand and see if there has been any form of growth learning rehabilitation in a person if you choose not to that's fine but that doesn't mean you have to continuously 
attack, attack, attack a person. And I think that's where that's where I struggle when it comes to certain people. But yes, that is exactly where I struggle is where people pick and choose who they allow to change over time. And that's been my hiccup with close peers and everything like that. It's, I mean, again, you know, not to get too political, but the people who represent us right now have a past. And if you speak on their past, it's like, hey, They've made changes. They understood. They've grown. Okay, I can respect that. So why can't that be that way for someone else? You know, I want to piggyback off that because, you know, I, I was listening to David Banner speak the other day and he said something very true. He said, you know, people expect more change out of entertainers than they do out of politicians. You know, if like I'll give the example, it's people that have said things this past year, black men that have, you made you cringe like, dude, why would you say that? But in my head, I'm also like, once they learned that that was not the correct thing to say and they genuinely did not know, that should be the end of it then. You know, the, any further condemnation, barring their family, should really just be the end of it. We should allow people to grow. You know, there are people across the lines who say things and they're not killed the way they are in our community. We have a very tough community where when you're loved, you're loved, but when you're hated, you're hated. And it's just not fair, man. Why would you why would people want to risk their careers and their lives just for you to take one thing they do and then rip them apart about it? You know, but at the same time, I like the idea of accountability. I just think it's people tend to like to hold people accountable from the confines of a computer and they get to hide their own dirt, you know? That's the key. You know, that is the key and you know, sometimes when you go to talk like this, people say you're an apologist for abusers, you're, you know, you support uh, ignorance, different things like that. And it's, it's you know, I think everyone it's everyone has value. Exactly. You know, I think it's important to say I don't condone domestic violence. And, you know, when Joe was saying what he was saying, I told my, you know, my, my siblings, I'm not really going to listen to the interview because I don't. You know, I think the tone was insensitive. That's just me personally. You know, so I'm not, you know, I'm not taking what he said as, you know, something light. You know, regardless of him saying, yo, it was toxic on both sides, I understand. But to me, I didn't think it was, you know, sensitive enough. I think she, if she's, you know, really a survivor and she's really been through domestic abuse, then maybe the right emotion isn't anger, even if you feel as if she's slandering you. And I think that's also the catch-22. When you've done something to someone, even if they're not telling the truth about parts of it, in your opinion, you still, you know, I guess as a man, you still have to consider, you know, I'm going to say as a man, people could say as a person, you still have to consider how they're probably feeling, you know, but I also think, you know, there are parts of it that won't be admitted because it does not fit with the, the story that they wanted her to tell. And that's not to say that she lied about any of it, but I definitely think that them getting her to him to, you know, her to do it at this point in time was just very suspicious. I'm going to go out on a limb and have problems in my life by saying I disagree with you. 
to me, if someone is painting a story of me that is inaccurate, how I respond is always going to be, should always be approved if someone is painting something that is not true. So society tells us how you respond to things is more important than the thing that happens. We tell kids that all the time. If someone hits you, you need to tell somebody because if you respond, you're going to get in trouble. The problem that I have with that is that society isn't built like that for adults. You say something about me and I never defend myself, that means it's true. Now, how I defend myself, there's some I've heard people say, I don't know, he wasn't really adamant about how he responded, not specifically the Joe situation, but if you're not very adamant on it, people take that as, you know, well, then it's true. Even recently with the Trey Song situation, it's like there's multiple stories of whatever the young lady name was involved with, you know, like a lot of cases and a lot of situations that happen with other celebrity men. If you don't come out and, and, and speak aggressively towards the things that someone's attacking you, I don't know where you stand. We both just need to be wrong and both of us need to have you know, the spotlight put on us about how we're handling things because I'm not just going to let someone walk on me and drag my name because, again, if you have a large following and you say something, in our community, the black community right now, we read that as facts. And, I, and I'm specifically referencing social media. I don't mean off of social media, but if you say something on social media, people take it as fact and they run with it. No, I agree with that. And, you know, you know, I may have sounded as if I was saying, you know, that he shouldn't have defended himself. But that's not what I meant. What I meant is he's allowed to defend himself. But I think, you know, the unfortunate burden is you're, you're really damned if you're doing damned if you don't. If you defend yourself, you sound insensitive. If you defend yourself, you sound defensive. So yeah. it, it's really a lose lose because that's such a serious accusation and it's hard to come back from it. But I, like I said, the like with the example with my role, the other catch 22 is even if it's disproven, you're not, you're not owed an apology because you're not viewed as a human. You're viewed as, okay, you're, you're a man, but you don't have feelings. Right. And you didn't die. You are, you can't be a victim. Exactly. You're not a victim, right? You could be victimized, but you're not a victim. And, you know, and to tie it all in, this being such a serious subject in our community, I think the dialogue has to be held between men and women in safe spaces about, about, you know, not what's right or wrong, but how we can conduct ourselves in the manner that some of us come across these things. And then going forward, you know, not saying that we have to open our communities back up to people who have wronged women, but when you when you blacklist someone, that person eventually becomes what you expect them to be. It's just like a child. If you continuously tell a child, you ain't going to be nothing, you ain't going to be nothing, the likelihood is that they're going to start to internalize some of that and some of their behaviors may start to reflect that. And um, there's always levels to things, right? You know, someone who steals bubblegum is different from someone who robs a bank. But right now we're on this click 
clickbait thing where everything is sensationalized to where it's if you've done anything you are the worst of that type and I don't know for me I'm just to a point where I just don't know how productive that is for us no I understand and I think the only thing I ask in these situations I don't want us to not listen to women listen to women I don't want us to you know shame abuse you know abused people and people who are survivors I want us to, you know, and I think this is important to say, when something has been shown and we've gotten enough evidence to suggest that something happened, believe it. We don't need to hear the other side of certain situations. And y'all know where I'm going with that. But I say that to say if a situation is just an accusation or it's just someone said something and there's absolutely no open case on it and there's nothing on it. You reserve the right to say, hey, I'm going to wait for more information. It's nothing wrong with saying, before I say anything, I'm going to wait till I hear more information. But we are the weak in society, and I don't just mean black either, but we're to a point where whoever has the news first is, is king. When the late, great Kobe Bryant passed, that three-letter company, starting with T and ending in Z, they... They broke news that was horrible, but they have such a great track record of having information that they was given information and people were believing it. And it's, it just became fact. Come to find out some of their information was wrong. Right. And we're talking about people's lives here. So if, if the people that we monitor or people that we care about, if they just spew information, imagine, you know, what the rest of us are going to do. Exactly. And we have to find ways to take information and evaluate information before spreading information. And, you know, I'm going to say this one last thing. I think it's important when we have these type of situations, it's important for, for conversations afterwards. And I don't mean these surface level conversations where we get in our perspective groups and we say how we feel about things and we say everybody else isn't right. No, I mean, if you're, you know, if I'm a guy, I talk to the women in my life and say, hey, explain to me how this sounds to you. What does this sound like to you? Is what I'm saying sounding this way to you? And then on vice versa, say, hey, this is how I feel about this. How does this sound to you? Because a lot of times that's how you check behavior. That's how you really invoke dialogue. But all the, the moral shaming of people and the higher than, you know, the holier than thou you know, stances because you read three more books than a person that's not causing changes. You know, to tie it all in, man, I walk around thinking about how I can be a better example to not just my boys, but to some other peers of mine. And I also think about how we could all be better as men. And Again, it starts with open dialogue, like some of the conversations we're having, all of the conversations we have. Um, but I also think we have to get to a point as men where we can ask women, hey, can you help me with this? But we have to find a way to ask where it's you know, going to get results. You know, it's that's something I'm glad you mentioned because I wanted, you know, I've been trying to go on my own little rabbit hole or of reading about, you know, black masculinity and, and hear what black scholars think about it. 
And there's this book I've been reading by this guy, uh, Jared Sexton. And one of the things he says in there, and I, I circled it, he said, we can't ex- if we can't expect black women to teach us certain things about, you know, about being better feminist and by feminist, I mean, you know, equality of the sexes because they have their own issues to do. Then we have to allow men the freedom to actually begin exploring that question. And part of that is we have to identify what parts of masculinity are toxic and what parts of masculinity are necessary, but that has to be done without, and this is just my genuine belief. This has to be done without women per overseeing it because you can't in one say, say y'all are toxic. And then we say, so what's wrong? And then we say, that's not our job to teach you. You have to allow us to sift through that and find meaning ourselves. And that doesn't mean you can't help, but if y'all are still sifting through levels of, you know, feminism and determining what's okay and acceptable, then you can't expect us to know it. Is it okay? if You know, is it okay if Beyonce does lemonade? Because according to Bell Hooks, it isn't. So what parts of feminism are y'all okay with? And if you can't answer that question, you can't expect us to fully have answered all the questions about black masculinity. You know, black masculinity is a very interesting thing because it seems in a lot of cases to check black mass, to check black masculinity is to attempt to emasculate. And um, I know that may sound extreme, but in some cases it's almost as if we want to strip you down and build you up. And where I struggle with that is, is sometimes people think that even because you are flawed, you have nothing good to offer. Mm. And that's so off and so wrong. This this thing there's there's parts of masculinity that I believe are meant to be uncomfortable and uncomfortable to both parties. And I'll give an example. Uh, my wife really isn't into guns. Right? She's she's not. She, we've we've never had them in our home. We have them now. Right? But she's not really a fan of them. We have two black sons. You know, one busy four year old. Um, and my seven-year-old, he may not really fully comprehend too much about a gun, right? So she has some concerns. But with everything that's going on in the world, it's not that I overrid my my wife or overrode my wife. Excuse my language here. Um, it's more or less that I may foresee something that she does not. Not that she can't, but because we just have two different roles or two different um minds and two different tasks that join together and make one great task some may see it as oh he disrespected what his wife wants or what she's comfortable with so throw that whole man away but there's there's an importance to this right there's a level of trust that can be built it's it's oh my wife my husband knows I'm uncomfortable with this he did it anyway and over time, you may see like, hey, I'm not here to disregard you. I'm doing something that I see is right. And I and I'm going to attempt to show you that doesn't mean that you'll agree with it, but I'm at least going to include you to let you know. And I think that side of masculinity may be uncomfortable and challenging to what some people may call femininity, but it's still a valuable piece that you don't throw away because you don't agree with it. You know, and I think the the big thing to piggyback off what you're saying is we got to stop looking at things as 
one means the other is less important or one is greater than. They can both be equal, but have different functions. You know, in life, you have give and take. You can put a title on it. You can say masculine, feminine, whatever you want to say, because not all men act the same and not all women act the same. But you have to have a force that gives in life and you have to have you have to know when to give and you have to know when to take. And some of the aspects of masculinity that get the most grief are necessary aspects of society. There are parts of society that are not diplomatic. There are parts of society that are not, um, you know, things that you can talk or reason through or that can be understood and, could, and, and, you know, can be worked out or collabed through, you know. And on the other hand, you can't bulldoze your way through everything in life. You can't have functioning relationships with people and not be able to communicate and not talk and not want to work things out. So you, you need both, you know, and men and women were put to complement each other. And instead, we keep looking at the energy of one and saying that's too much. You know, we got men saying, look, man, she's too aggressive. Well, I mean, in that sense, man, everybody has some type of role to play. She may be more aggressive. She may be seeking someone with the same level of aggression who could teach her to yield. Same thing. You may be a very aggressive man. And over the course of your life, you learn you can't win every battle through aggression. You know, it's it's a need and a purpose. But I mentioned, you know, black masculinity, just to sum it all up. I mentioned it just to say black men are asking those questions and those conversations are being had. But and I say this again, it's problematic for me to for black women to ask black men about black masculinity, but not read any scholars of black men talking about black masculinity. That's just to me, I think that's problematic, you know. And so that's why I'm attempting to find out what that means to me. And I don't want, you know, I want the support of black women, but I don't want them to narrate how my how my being should be any more than I should be able to narrate what black femininity looks like. You know, (laughs) I'm going to make light of this and make a nice little joke, but I've been married eight years and. (laughs) what I think masculinity is is identifying is identifying when you are capable of expressing that you are a man so I'm laughing and joking about that but there's a seriousness to to uh, dialogue with a uh, with a beautiful sister and understanding that you may see something in this conversation that she may not see. And there may be something that she sees that you don't see. And the strength is identifying that and, and reacting off that. And I talk to you, you know, often, uh, you're, you're headed in that direction, you know, and I often admire people who take the leap of marriage because again eight years in if I was to sit down and tutor young men I would say we need to change the narrative on a few things we don't need to it's gonna sound crazy but hear me out we don't need to ask a woman's father for permission to marry his daughter and the reason for that is because you're playing into a role of patriarchy that your wife may want that your wife may turn around one day and say, hey, listen, I'm not that type of person. You know, 
I'm a feminist when she probably should be saying that she's a womanist, you know, different things of that nature. And um, the, the most beautiful thing that I've learned about women um, between having a mother, having a great sister, having a wife, um, and then having numerous uh, black women as friends is when they're given space to operate in their maximum capacity, they flourish differently than any other being or any other thing on this earth. The troubling part that I see that's, that stunts that growth is false leadership in people who, who, who again, try to identify masculinity instead of identifying, like what you said, femininity. And when you spend so much time trying to address the other gender and trying to correct the behaviors of the, agenda, the, other, the other gender, I think you do yourself a disservice. If, does that make sense? No, I get exactly what you're saying. And, hey. and that's exactly where I am, and I don't mean to cut you off, but that's that's where I am in, in my growth is trying to identify more about me, trying to identify more about men um, in the past, and you know, trying to identify what's great in the future. Because at one point, I did spend a lot of time on thinking, hey, what would I want my woman to be, or what would I want my wife to be if I had a daughter, how she would be. And although those things are okay, but if I didn't, I can't identify what a woman should be if I can if I can't perfect what I think a man should be. And honestly, man, it's not really much more to say after that. That really summed it up. <laughs> yeah. So it was great getting together tonight, man. It was really great getting together tonight. Um, again, we want to thank everybody for listening, uh, reaching out to us. Uh, those who shared, those who spoke about it in their, you know, their groups, different things of that nature. Uh, we definitely appreciate you guys. Definitely. I appreciate you guys. And we look forward to you guys feedback on this and hopefully we can have a healthy dialogue following it. Also, uh, just to, just to put this out there, I believe that we lost, uh, a Fort Valley, um, family member, uh, I believe last night or earlier this night. Oh man. I believe his name is Andrew Allen. Um, I'm not sure if you remember him, Sam. I'll touch base with you, see if you remember him. But um, it looks like he lost his life in a car accident. So uh, rest in peace. Please to, rest in peace, brother. And bless, rest, you know, blessings to his family. You know, I pray for comfort uh, to his family and anyone that was connected to him. Everybody who went to Fort Valley who know him and those who don't know him. Uh, you know, Fort Valley has always been great to me uh the peers that i've met there um just a great time in my life and again you know some people say life is short you know i i don't believe life is short it's the longest thing you'll do but to me life is just fragile and um it's important uh that we that we acknowledge the fragility uh of life definitely and to everybody out there Please stay safe. You know, please, you know, keep a guard of your mental health. Keep guard of your thoughts. Thank, you know, thank whoever or whatever you believe in for life and just enjoy the time we have. All right. You guys have a great week. All right. You guys. Too.